Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our watch through of The Magicians with Season 2, Episode 4, The Flying Forest. Britt, could you start us off with a recap, please? So the episode opens with Q getting his shoulder repaired. Elliot and Margot leave him to figure out what to do with Fillory now that there's a power vacuum in the absence of the beast, and the wellspring still suffers from the divine pooping, which also makes magic unstable on Earth. Elliot is overwhelmed, but Margot makes him a golem that his mind can inhabit on Earth while his real body sleeps in Fillory. At Breakville's, Elliot finds the physical kids' parties have changed with Todd running them, and he has disorienting sexy times in Earth and Fillory simultaneously. He speaks with the Dean, who says he'll bring in experts with knowledge to help Elliot be High King. In New York, Julia finds Katie in a drug den, and they work to find a way to defeat Reynard. A break Bill's library reference number is on Marina's corpse, and Julia goes to find the book. As she copies a necromancy spell, she has a run-in with Margot, but afterwards is able to bring Marina back to life for a few minutes. And the terrified Marina tells them that Reynard can be banished because a woman did it 40 years ago. Back in Fillory, Penny joins Quentin in hopes of getting his hands healed, but the centaur doctor won't risk treating his hand curse. Between grieving and fighting with Penny, Quentin sees the White Lady and gets the idea to catch her so that they can receive wishes to heal Penny's hands and bring Alice back to life. On the way, they get high in the flying forest, but when they finally catch the White Lady, she can heal Penny's hands but cannot bring Alice back, so Quentin uses his wish to return to Earth. A lot going on. There really is, yeah. As per usual. I'm sure both have way too many notes. I certainly do. Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, then let's get into it. So our first section is our magic moments, the moments that stood out to us during this watch through. What did you bring? Well, there are, again, so many great lines. Even in just the first opening scene, Margot is like, I know we're being serious right now, but that surgeon has the biggest dick. (laughs) And... Elliot's nod. (laughs) Elliot's long pause and then a solemn nod of acknowledgement is so so great. (laughs) And the fact that he signs the little note that they leave Quentin... Your benevolent overlord, High King Elliot. Perfect. It's like, that's exactly how I would sign something if I was High King. So. Totally. And I love that it's, <laughs> it's still the case in a letter where he's like, I don't know if you'll ever wake up. Like, yeah, I know. I could be writing this and it will never be open because you might die. And mm. yet still, this is my humor. This is how we connect. <laughs> it's great. So good. Also, he says to Margo, since when are you Fillory Clinton? <laughs> Excellent. Yes, just great. And Margot calls his golem his doppelbanger. Accurate. A hundred percent accurate. A specific reason, yeah. <laughs> He's able to smell better because he hasn't had cocaine yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And then uh, also when Penny mentions that there's this archery spell that'll help you shoot straight. Quentin wants him to show it to him, and he's like, if I had middle fingers, you know what they'd be doing right now? Excellent. So penny. Also, when they were actually going through the flying forest, there was a lot of different moments, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of them as they fall into other categories, Mm -hmm. but also just Penny saying, listen, Quincy, (laughs) (laughs) and that the kid, the Chatwins, went through the flying forest when they were kids, and he's like, super inappropriate, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's great. It's delightful. I love how they keep bumping into one another. Yeah. Like, it's so cute. They're like physical intimacy that they (laughs) never share exactly it's only when penny is altered in some way his emotions are Mm -hmm. bottled or he's high can he ever like semi get along with quentin i also really loved kind of like margot's quote from season one when she was talking about break bills teaching them to be arch and ironic about magic Mm. but this particular thing they're going to do, like, plays it serious. 
how that's so the show, kind of in like a little nutshell. But I think Fogg's quote here too from this episode does that as well when he says, Shat in the wellspring? Proving once again that comedy and tragedy can coexist in the same goddamn sentence, which is exactly the show too. Absolutely. And he does a great job of delivering a comedic line with a huge amount of frustration <laughs> just like bubbling underneath. Yeah. It's frustration, but he's also amused. Like yeah. it's it's the both, which yeah. is so great. And yes, both tragedy and comedy in this show mm. very much coexist. So excellent. And then the last magic moment is just the fact that Marina cut a break bill's reference number into her skin as she died so that she could give Julia resources to banish Reynard, even though she was dying. She has this reference number in her mind and causes herself more pain as she's dying to do that, as well as while she was being tortured by Reynard, was able to get information from him that some woman banished him 40 years ago. Like, the fact that she was able to do all of that, no one else could possibly be that competent as they were getting tortured and and killed. Absolutely. So, yeah, Marina is just a badass. (laughs) And super intelligent and, yeah, a great coda for that character. Absolutely. And, I mean, just the the actor does such a great job Mm -hmm. when she is brought back to life for those couple minutes. Yeah, just all of these emotions that she's feeling. If that's how she was feeling, but she still had the wherewithal to carve this into herself as she was dying, like, it's just... She's very impressive. Absolutely. But what about you? What are your magic moments? Uh, Also a lot of really great lines. Mm -hmm. Some of the other ones that I thought of were when Elliot first sees the golem and he's like seducing it or flirting with his own golem or like looking, checking it out. Yeah, eyeing it. And he says, doing your clone is like AP level masturbation. (laughs) And I appreciate it because the golem who doesn't say anything and who he's going to put his soul into so it makes it seem like it would be lifeless in some way also gives seductive looks back to yeah, Elliot. I know. <laughs> he's not checking Margo out. He's checking Elliot out. Yeah, and just like highlights like okay, if you are making something out of the essence of Elliot, it's going to have that as well. Yeah. <laughs> I also loved uh, a couple other lines between Quentin and Penny, when Penny's trying to have Quentin cut off his hands, and Quentin's like, I don't like blood. And Penny's like, who loves blood? And then how they both just, like, start yelling after Quentin does finally chop. Because he's like, no, I can feel it. He thought he wouldn't feel it because he used the centaur liquor. (laughs) Exactly. So he starts yelling in pain, and Quentin just starts yelling because he's doing this thing. As he's hacking. Exactly. So good. So good. Very great way of making a difficult scene entertaining. (laughs) Definitely. Similarly... Penny says, let's go hunt the white lady. People like me get shot for saying shit like that. Mm-hmm. Another important <laughs> way of bringing in Penny has a different experience of the world than Quentin does. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the, the other thing I wanted to mention was seeing Fogg's spell where he is at a globe and he starts spelling what looks like maybe weather patterns on the globe Mm. and like clouds around it and it's just really really cool looking eventually it breaks to show that his magic is having some problems but or magic or magic generally yeah Yeah. but uh it just was such a cool looking spell that you know i love a globe and (laughs) seeing magic with one is really cool what a cool sentence. I love a globe. You know, I love a globe. I know, but we... I am who I am. Yeah. But geography is an important part of history, and so we both love globes. Exactly. I have a globe that was one of my grandparents that is quite old, and so it still has the USSR on it, and it's just like, Very well, cool. obviously I'm keeping this. Yeah. But why don't we talk a little bit more about the world in our setting and society segment? You go first. Well, I like that they bring in here conquering 
foreigners coming in to fillery and they are ill-equipped to deal with the problems of fillery as well as even understand the culture Mm -hmm. and all of these different things that are going on and its history. Dean Fogg is just like, what did you think was going to happen when you dove headfirst into another world? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, very sadly, Elliot says that he thought that he'd die. And Fogg just blows right past that. Mm -hmm. He's he's not going to talk about that. But Fogg's just like, this just reeks of earth privilege. And so the best I can do is help you rule now that you've gone in there and conquered this other land. And Ellie's just like, well, they kind of gave it to us. Mm -hmm. But it's still, it's like this very problematic setup of people who are not only not from there, that not a part of the community or the culture that they're ruling over, but also, I mean, monarchies have problems, mm-hmm. of course, in all these different ways, but at least from the time of birth until people assume the throne, usually they are trained and prepared in certain ways, and Elliot was not, yeah. obviously, and he's very well aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that they're bringing that up. It's not just Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, they go to Narnia and are rulers and there isn't any problem with that because that's not realistic. Yeah. (laughs) And that not only are there problems with the whole structure of Earth people being the rulers and all of that, but also the level of complexity of the problems that are happening in Fillory and the surrounding countries and the wellspring and all of that is just like so overwhelming for Elliot, which again also is realistic. Mm-hmm. I also was thinking about kind of the idea of adventure narratives mm-hmm. because as Quentin and Penny are going through the flying forest. Quentin's like, I must be an adventurer. (laughs) I have a bow and arrow. And he finds this necklace and is like, it's a girl. So what if I'm supposed to be rescuing her? You know, and he's so embedded. and And we've talked about before, like him and these romantic narratives of epics and how things are supposed to happen. And like these stories that we are fed since we're children, since we can remember. Mm -hmm. And... I think that magicians dismantles a lot of those ideas or that's the work that they're trying to do. And Penny, of course, brings it right back to some of the reality. Quentin says, what if I'm supposed to be rescuing her? And Penny's just like, or what if you're a stalker? Yeah. <laughs> like, which very much can have overtones of things like that uh, in these adventure narratives, mm-hmm. that especially when female characters in them are objectified in a way uh, or don't have agency and things like that and an obsessed man, you know, and but also is the hero and you're supposed to be rooting for. And it can have all of these problematic layers there. And even completely high out of his mind, Penny is like, or maybe you're a stalker, which is what he had said to Quentin many, many episodes ago when Quentin bribed Gretchen to be in the study group with Alice and Penny, even after Alice had said that she wanted space from him. Yeah. And uh, now we can see that Quentin still has those elements in him of buying into that narrative of male adventurers and what they're supposed to be doing, saving a helpless girl, you know, he doesn't know he finds this necklace and doesn't remember who is, whose it is. uh, And he thinks that, yeah, he's this adventurer and he has this bow and arrow when he's not even competent to use the bow and arrow (laughs) has to use a spell to even be able to do it. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really nice and also funny (laughs) uh, examination of yeah, the the problematic storytelling where it's just ill-equipped men think that they can save the day and often do unrealistically. Yeah. And then when you have that mirrored with Elliot and him acknowledging that he's ill-equipped and seeking help for it. Uh, yeah, I just think it's quite um, a 
important part of the story. Absolutely, of, yeah. Of the show. Yeah, and those narratives so often also come with the objectification of women as mm -hmm. a prize to be won, a damsel to rescue. And we've seen Quentin do that so often, too. Just last episode, we saw him saying that he wants to win Alice back, and mm -hmm. her saying that she's not a prize to be won. Uh, we talked about how when he met Jane as the Watcherwoman, mm -hmm. and he said, I wish I could have protected you or saved yeah. you. And she's like, it's not your job to do that. Yeah, he's so filled with these romanticized stories that have clearly altered his perception in problematic ways. Absolutely. And, and I wasn't sure whether I should put this here in like the setting in society or in themes and schemes, because yeah. I, th I think it's part of the theme of this entire show that we will engage with more as we continue on. Absolutely. How is this show going to set up narratives that are different than that mm -hmm. as they kind of critique it along the way? Totally. And the last thing I, I want to talk about in this section, which you, you kind of mentioned before when Penny was like, let's go hunt the white lady. People like me get shot for saying things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think that in addition to as they're going through the flying forest and don't even remember who each other are, Quentin's racism again comes out. Yeah. That he automatically assumes that Penny is his servant. Mm -hmm. Even against the blaring fact that Penny points out he doesn't have hands. What kind of servant doesn't have any hands? So that automatic assumption that this brown Asian man would be his servant. For some reason, he's an adventurer and this person has a lower position to him. Like that automatic assumption does continue the problematic representation that we saw in Quentin's dream nightmare state. Yeah. So it's clear the show is still showing that, yeah, he has some unconscious biases that are racist and, and problematic. And so I like that they do continue in the show, even if it's just in small comments here or there, to show the intersectionality of Penny and therefore how other people can react to him in ways that are steeped in their own discrimination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also a really great way for the magicians to engage with another form of fiction mm -hmm. of those adventure stories, you know, that I'm sure Quentin was well aware of. The Indiana Joneses, the Johnny Quest, Green Hornet, all of these, especially mid-century stories about yeah white adventurers traveling the world with a sidekick or manservant mm -hmm. uh, which is typically a person of color yeah who is very stereotyped mm -hmm. and dehumanized exactly in, in the role yeah yeah absolutely yeah very astute mm. what about you what setting and society points were you thinking about I appreciate also in them taking on these roles now as high king and high queen and how Fenn discusses so many of the people in Fillory don't have faith in them <laughs> and think that they're probably either going to be dead or gone soon. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't believe that humans will be a lasting government that they can rely on or, or depend on, which, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense and, and also opens up some really interesting questions in, yeah, what it's like in Fillory for average Florians mm. uh, and how they perceive these kinds of changes in their society. Uh, another actually interesting element of that is just the time that we spend in the centaur camp. The sometimes, retreat. yes, sometimes it's obviously played for a laugh, like the fact that they can just take a dump in the middle of a conversation, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and how... The... Of course that happens when he's talking to Penny. Of course, yeah, of course. Unlucky Penny. <laughs> And how one of the women that they saved has, like, come on as a servant slash, like, worshiper almost. Mm -hmm. But I also find it really interesting just some of the small details they have where we see, like, a piece of art that they have that shows their own culture. We hear them describe themselves as a three days gallop from Castle Whitespire. Mm -hmm. You know, these kinds of very small details that don't have to 
mean anything but do provide some some strong world building of mm. where they are in that setting which i think is really cool and was interesting too that the know, physician's assistant type of person oh you're so lucky that the white lady allowed the centaurs to see her and you happen to be here and so it, it does set up that the white lady has respect for the centaurs and maybe there's mutual respect, maybe a, a kinship in a way, because they're both part human almost, but also part animal on the bottom, you know? And so, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. It's opening up like this whole other. That's so funny. I did not take that that way at all. I took mm. that as another example of her mindlessly believing that anything good would be from the centaurs. And so... <laughs> If the white lady appears in the area, it's only because she chose someone. And she must have chosen a centaur, not a random person who they're treating. Yeah, but the white lady wouldn't choose Quentin. I mean, <laughs> this is one I, of the I issues, fair, though, though. Is like, <laughs> they do, unfortunately, have some powers in Fillory that have faith in them, or who give them trials, or who engage with them, you know, who crown them him a king you know so like there is some element of fillery that is about providing these kinds of quests for children of earth i think that there's some problems with I that mean, maybe but... or maybe it's just children of earth interpret everything for themselves as a quest i think that, that both can be true yeah you know it's not clarified what was actually happening in that scene but i would lean towards the side of why wouldn't centaurs and the white lady have a better relationship than random humans that keep wanting things from her mm. as they attack her to try to make her give them wishes. Yeah, and that actually brings me to my next point, which mm. is how the white lady has to be hunted. She gets shot by Quentin. How Quentin's not just tracking her to find her and maybe trap her or do something else that's not going to possibly kill her, mm -hmm. but instead he comes in with a bow and an arrow and he plans to shoot her and he threatens to shoot her again if she doesn't give him the wish. And like this again is kind of thrown off as some of yeah the arch and ironic humor of the magicians where she's just like, yeah, it hurts like hell. What do you want? And like kind of eye rolls at them. But we do see a physical manifestation of the violence that these children of Earth bring to Fillory in obtaining their wishes. This ties into ideas of state and structural violence, of when they take power as the kings and queens of Fillory, they now have soldiers to do their bidding. And when they hear that there are coups and things going on like that, that means that they have to use imperial power to address that. If they're taxing people, taxation continues because you have laws and policing that enforce it, right? Like a state can't exist without having violence. And so for them to come in as rulers of Fillory now is them enacting violence upon Fillory, not being from there. And Quinton makes this very clear through his use of violence against the White Lady in seeking what he wants to bring Alice back to life, to break the rules of the universe. Yeah, and I think that even more so shows how maybe someone like Margot would hunt the white lady to do something for Fillory. Mm -hmm. She is not against violence in no. any way, as she says at the first meeting she's having with the council you know who pays taxes people with broken legs i'm like you're not a mob boss <laughs> margo but regardless she's not opposed to doing violence to supposedly help you right. know for the quote-unquote greater good which is i think how a lot of state violence happens totally. the uh, or how state violence is enacted it's with the justification that it's making things better mm -hmm. in in certain ways 
whether we buy into that or not is a separate issue, but at least there is a justification that attempts to legitimize the violence that's done. Totally. But Quentin isn't even doing that. If the white lady says, I can't bring Alice back, that is beyond what I have the power to do, why didn't he ask to fix the wall spring? Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't ask to do anything that would help Fillory. He just wants to take from Fillory. And when Fillory can't give him what he wants it to, he abandons it and goes home. Exactly. Like, Margot and Elliot were trying... Elliot definitely got overwhelmed in the process and, like, checked out for a day that ended up being, like, more than that on Earth. Mm -hmm. But it was still in the process of trying to help. And, like, yes, Quentin is grieving, but even when Elliot was grieving Mike and that whole situation, he was not dealing with it well. He was using substances to try to cope, but he was still trying to participate in the things that would help with defeating the beast and and these different things. He was still at least trying to engage, even if his engagement was dangerous and made things worse sometimes. But he was at least trying to help. Whereas here, Quentin just checks out. Like, he wanted to be a king of Fillory. He was convinced he would be the high king. And then when it comes down to it, he will just abandon Fillory in a time of need, partially through his own actions of of wanting to save Fillory and (laughs) magic and all of these things, and gives nothing back to Mm. Fillory to try to help. As soon as he's well, he doesn't even go to the castle to see what he should be doing as a king. And at the very least, if he didn't think about the wellspring, because maybe he didn't know that it was still having so many problems, he at the very least could have been like, oh yeah, remember my dad has brain cancer? Maybe Mm -hmm. I could ask for that. Or better yet, the rampaging raping, murdering god that is terrorizing hedge witches on Earth, maybe I should ask if the white lady could do anything to make him go away, you know? This thing that he supposedly cared about that happened to Julia, now he just doesn't at all, Mm -hmm. you know? He's only thinking about what he wants. He wastes his wish after doing this violence to the white lady just to go home, which is... Yeah, I think the height of selfishness and entitlement. If Hillary can't give me what I want, I'll just take what I can get and leave it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because so many other people in this episode are, like, trying to do productive things to, like, help stop more violence or bloodshed or war, or, you know. Not not to say that he doesn't need time to grieve. People need to grieve. But they can also, as they're grieving, try to do things that aren't just entirely self-focused. Yeah. And we see in his grief how Quentin falls back on his most selfish and destructive behaviors of running away, of giving up, mm-hmm. of thinking only of himself. And, yeah, continuing to try to believe in these grand fairy tales, which nothing can live up to. And so once they fall apart as they're going to because they're fairy tales, Mm -hmm. he implodes. And yeah, it's just uh, something that he has not actually dealt with in any meaningful way, despite the growth that we have seen in him through the series so far. That's not long-term. It's not something that's staying with him, or it's certainly not something that is seen in this moment. Mm -hmm. But let's head into our next segment on themes and schemes. What themes did you want to talk about? Yeah, I think there's a a few interesting things, particularly that the white lady says. One that is, how much do you have to lose until you're no longer yourself? Yes. Which I think is a really fascinating question. And I think that the series thus far has already dealt with maybe in certain ways with Alice turning into a Niffin, and before that, her her brother. Yeah. Them just being different. The fact that, yeah, Alice would just turn to kill these people who were her friends after destroying Martin. 
that's not Atlas, right? Or mm-hmm. that's what we would say. And then there's also kind of engagement with that question too with Martin, yeah. Martin and Julia. The fact that he severed his shade and that fundamentally changed him. And Julia being tempted to entertain the idea if she might want to as well. But deciding, no, I need that part of me is, yeah, if Martin severs that shade, if if Julia doesn't have it, are they still them if they lose that part of themselves? And I think Elliot is dealing with that to some degree, too, in a different way as High King of Fillory that he has to be married. And Mm -hmm. in this situation, Elliot says, like, I don't belong here in Fillory. This isn't a life where he can be his full self. And I think he's struggling with that even as he returns to the physical kid's cottage and sees how all of these different things are happening without him. And he's lost part of his role of being the host, Mm -hmm. the entertainer, the person who creates the moments of the party and and makes them great. Uh, And so he's losing some of his feeling of being himself as he's forced into situations that are very not him. Yeah. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely continue, I think, to see this idea moving forward in the series. Well, I think there's even another one that's really important in this episode, and that's Todd. Todd mm-hmm. is trying to become the new Elliot. Yeah. I, I meant he's important as a joke, but yeah, you yeah, know. I mean, Todd. is Todd ever going to be important? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, him trying to become the new Elliot, wearing his vests, you mm-hmm. know, it very much, to me, yeah, made me think about the idea of him trying to rebuild himself. Mm-hmm. And is he losing any? aspect of himself in doing so. Yeah, and I think that Penny is a very interesting counterpoint to the idea. Mm. Like, he has lost so much. And, yeah, I think both he and and Julia, as as we continue with the series, I think we'll come back to this question of how much do you have to lose to no longer be yourself? Totally. Another theme that they're bringing back is the the depression Mm -hmm. uh, of Quentin and and his pattern of trying to run away or escape in in whatever way, whether that's into stories or quests in in real life or, you know, those things. Because the white lady says, you can bend the ether to your will. What more do you want? Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, I think bringing back when Quentin and... Alice were doing the secrets magic trial on the rooftop and he was saying that yeah he has all of this stuff magic is real you know things that he always wanted he has now but he still hates himself and he he can't run away hard enough the white lady also says you would find your way back to sadness no matter how far you run from it when she says that's reassuring which yeah i mean that that is a depressing thought yeah. right and even as we complain about quentin and, and the things that he's doing wrong this is still really a, a strong theme and for a person with depression to then be dealing with these other aspects of death and violence that you've seen and the trauma of these things yeah it's it's difficult so i'm glad that they're continuing to weave that throughout the story Mm -hmm. and the last theme i was really thinking about is the idea of becoming adults Mm. and the responsibilities that come with growing up early in the episode when Elliot says it was so much easier when there was just one dick trying to kill us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Margo says, yeah, now we're grownups. We have to deal with all of these problems that we don't know how to fix. When it was just this one aim of, okay, this is what we do. And all of our actions are oriented towards that. And like, this is the goal. Well, now that goal is done what do you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they're floundering and they're trying to do things that they were not equipped for and 
in a reality that was not made to make things easy for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that ties back into growing up is hard to do. <laughs> Yes, that's why I've avoided it. Yeah, (laughs) and there aren't always easy answers, and it's complicated, and it can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And Margot seems to be doing the best at it, by far. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Julia might compete with her there. True. Julia's not looking to break people's legs if they're not paying taxes. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) But Margot is certainly finding solutions Mm -hmm. for Elliot's problem and trying to brainstorm, (laughs) albeit badly, (laughs) for what are solutions in Fillory. Yeah. (laughs) What about you? What themes and schemes are you thinking about? Yeah, I I had a lot of similar ideas, but the other one that I had was this idea of trying to be in two places at once that Mm. we see Elliot attempting to do with this golem when he talks to Fogg and he says, you know, I thought that I'd die, Fogg responds with, well, now you have two lives. Not only did you stay alive, but now you've got two of them. That's not going to work out long term. And you can't give all of yourself to anything if you're splitting yourself in half. This is obviously very clearly spelled out in the sex scene where Elliot has sex with Fenn and with the exchange student at break bills at the same time. Mm-hmm. The shots, I think, are interesting because we see Fenn and we see the other student, whose name I forget, doing you know similar things and the shots kind of going back and showing them both doing them with the different backgrounds. But then as the shots go faster and faster, the actors are shown in the opposite background. Mm-hmm. So the exchange student is seen in Fillory, Fenn is seen in the bedroom at Breakbills. This kind of blurring of these two experiences together very, very visually in that moment. But I think it's really interesting because it's not a way of, I think, showing connection. It really reminded me, obviously, of the scenes in Sense8, mm-hmm. which is a show about characters who can share each other's minds. And them being able to enter each other's minds during that increase the amount of intimacy that they have with one another. Uh, You know, it it kind of leads to these shared experiences. And here, that's not what we see with Elliot. We see him having these kind of two simultaneous scenes, but it makes him more disconnected from both Fen and from the student. Mm-hmm. And the Fen and the student, neither of them have anything, any idea what's going on. So they're obviously completely disconnected as well. So, I, yeah, I just find it a really interesting motif, particularly in comparison to Sense8, to show how this is something that for Elliot is fulfilling a need that he's not getting in Fillory, but it's not possible for him to actually escape Fillory. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's it's just fascinating thinking about kind of this idea of living in two worlds, particularly in an episode that also deals so much with death and life after death, where Quentin is trying to bring Alice back from the dead and is told that he can't do that. The white lady cannot pierce that veil, cannot bridge those two worlds. The worlds of life and death for Alice have to remain separate. Marina is a little bit more complicated because they do bring Mm -hmm. her back temporarily But that is not a moment that is glorious or happy or triumphant. It's a moment where Marina is clearly in pain. She is very, very anxious. And she's saying, I don't want to go back. Mm -hmm. And there's no way for them to stop her from going back. And so sure, she's able to, in that turmoil, still give them the information that she has. But then she dies again and she goes back to what sounds like a a horrible place. And so even though she was able to kind of peek from the other world, she also was unable to be in the two worlds, the world of the living and the world of the dead. Uh, I don't know if that was a, a purposeful parallel for the episode. I don't necessarily think even if it was purposeful that it was masterfully done because... I don't think there's a a clear through line thematically between them, but I do think there's something interesting going on with this idea of 
Elliot in his own story trying to live between two worlds and learning that he's unable to do that and coming to terms with that as others are coming to terms with the death of people who they want to be alive. Yeah, interesting. Well, let's head into our next segment, From Another Point of View. Yeah, so I know after this episode, we were both like, ah, so many notes. Mm-hmm. And so we, we kind of talked about three different characters both of us were thinking about a bit. Yeah. So the first one that I was really thinking about is Julia mm. and her experience, because she is yet again faced with with the corpse of somebody that she knows and cared about in some way that was killed by Reynard. Before, it was people that she really cared about, mm-hmm. but yet again, she had to like try to clean up the bodies after a violent murder. And just the guilt that she must feel doing that because she's the one who got Marina involved in the whole situation with Reynard and maybe is bringing up guilt too from the fact that maybe her other free trader friends wouldn't have ever been able to summon Reynard without her help because she for whatever reason was the god-touched one. She was the one who got access to things that others didn't even though they had been trying so yeah i was just thinking about how horrible that must be the loneliness the regret the guilt the sadness and the anger Mm -hmm. (laughs) that she must feel that she was so close to stabbing reynard with this blade that hopefully would have destroyed him when she was pulled out of the situation and it's like you know if, if she had just had a couple more seconds, then Marina wouldn't be dead. Yeah. So then having that body in your house that she had to remove from Marina's place and just having it there as you're trying to find Katie to to get help with what are they going to do and Reynard could return at any time if he just wants to. And in the meantime, killing other people and all of that, and then have to face Marina, Mm -hmm. the person who was always fueled by so much talent and disdain and (laughs) anger and superiority, you know, all Mm -hmm. of these things. And then just seeing her terrified almost crying and pleading she doesn't want to go back and that they have to kill Reynard like they have to get him and and just having to face that and you can see the tears in Julia's eyes and and she tells her you are the strongest person I've ever met and and that's not just a platitude that she's telling her to calm her down or help get the information she wants from her it's actually true Mm -hmm. yeah just the the grief that she must feel and the responsibility she must feel that then she fuels into trying to figure out any way she possibly can to get rid of Reynard yeah. so that he can't continue doing this. And in the midst of that, being a kind person to Katie, mm-hmm. trying to help her as, as she's getting clean and not letting herself resent Katie for running. She told her to run and she did, but... Katie didn't bring anybody to help. Even if Reynard would have been gone by then, they could have helped clean up the bodies. You know, they could have helped in these different ways. And the fact that, yeah, Julia just doesn't resent her from that, for that, and reassures Katie that there's nothing that she could have done to help is, yeah, just a very kind, loving thing to do. She doesn't want Katie to feel the guilt that she feels, even mm-hmm. though, of course, Katie's still going to feel guilty, but trying to help ease that in some way. And in the midst of trying to deal with all of that, then she's confronted by Margot again, with this elitist attitude towards her. Her just being like, you actually think because you go to this bullshit school that you're better than me. And she just pushes 
back. I mean, not that she hasn't pushed back before, but now she knows that she, every other time, was at break bells. And she doesn't care anymore. It's not this place that she covets to go. She's just like, you think that you're better than me? No, you're not. It's like, you think you're better than me, yet I'm the one who's actually trying to help other people. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who actually cares about anybody who doesn't go to the school, you know? And I don't think that that's entirely correct of Marco. She doesn't know Marco that well. And sure, she was being a little mean (laughs) to Marco, but, you know... She bristles when people are trying to condescend to her. Yeah. Just because she didn't go to this fancy school. Yeah. And she says things that Margot clearly needed to hear, too. Mm-hmm. Because Margot does take it and changes some of her behavior because of it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean ha- she changes her whole personality. She still, at the end, thinks, well, Alice isn't really, wasn't really our friend. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that we can't honor her memory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we weren't really her friends, we should still try to care mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah i was just thinking about how julie has to deal with so many difficult things and on top of that someone condescending to her when yeah. she and now katie are the only ones that are trying to deal with this monster yeah that's terrorizing and, and murdering people yeah totally i think it's also got to be really hard for julia to be in such a confusing emotional place with everything that's happened. You know, you mentioned the bodies that she's had to clean up in the past. Mm -hmm. The first one that she had to deal with was Katie's mom, who Marina killed. And so she's seen Marina as a destructive force, but then Marina was the one who came and helped her clean up after Reynard's attack. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, she clearly has a great deal of respect for Marina, but it can't be as simple as just love for her Mm. or as, you know, positive feelings when there have also been really awful things that that Marina has done. And Katie and Julia originally weren't friends either uh, because (laughs) of everything that happened with Katie's mom. And that was something that they had to work through. And they're barely getting through it when the Reynard attack happened. And so when thinking about Julia this episode, it really kind of hit home the extent to which Julia is able to really maturely see people as whole people Mm -hmm. and not simply as the things that they've done, which I think is absolutely highlighted in her working with Martin. And also helps to disprove Quentin's perspective of Julia being not entirely sane or not making rational decisions. Because Mm -hmm. it's not just revenge that she wants on Reynard. It's not wanting that to happen to anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that Julia is a character who I really, really admire and respect. And I also would hope that she finds Katie's outward joking affection for her meaningful in this episode because Katie makes a couple of jokes about their necklace the mm. the, the best bees necklace <laughs> I'll call it where she uses that term as a term of endearment for Julia yeah she laughs and smiles about it with Julia and we haven't seen Katie make jokes with anyone other than Penny mm. and so I think that that's a really big deal for Katie Again, especially considering her and Julia's past. And I would hope that friendship is as meaningful for the characters as it seems to me on this kind of closer reading of the show in seeing how unique it is for those characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also for Julia being so strong and and in compared to marina who's such a strong character i think julia is stronger because in the midst of all of these horrific things that she's dealing with she chooses to not just hold things against people not just cut people off yeah no one is just dead to julia yeah because of the ways they make mistakes or do problematic things or or whatnot yeah i think that takes real strength to 
not resent people to not even want to make them feel bad for Mm -hmm. abandoning you or you know whatever it is so yeah yeah she's quite an impressive person (laughs) absolutely Another person that we've touched on her a little bit so far, uh, Margot, mm-hmm. I think is really important in this episode because she is trying to grow up. She is trying to be responsible, even though she doesn't always know how. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like the fact that they leave Quentin, he hasn't woken up, they don't know what's going to happen, they're hoping it'll be okay but they're like Fillory needs us and we have this role and she's the one who's listening in the council meeting as Elliot has having a really hard time concentrating and says we should build a monument to Alice and Margo's just like what so blow all our cash on sappy nonsense you know (laughs) not the sensitive way to (laughs) say it but like yeah I get that. If they're having money issues in Fillory, you should not spend it on a monument mm-hmm. <laughs> for for someone who died. You should be taking care of the people. Yeah. And so, yeah, I like that she is always willing to push back about, this doesn't make sense. Like, we need to try to be responsible. For whatever stupid reason, you're the high king of this place, so you have to be responsible. And he's like, well, it's easy for you to say because you can just leave whenever you want. And and so they are in, yes, different situations, totally. but I think that that makes Margot's decision to try to help and actually be involved with Fillory so much a, a more difficult one, a, a more meaningful one, because... She isn't stuck there. She chooses to be there. Yeah. Like she says, my crown feels just as heavy as yours does. She, yeah, she's trying to support Elliot and comes up with the golem idea so that he can not just feel so stuck and trapped in Fillory and be so disconnected from everything else about his life prior to agreeing to be High King and... Yeah, I just, I was really feeling for her trying to find solutions, trying to be responsible, trying to take care of these different people around her as uh, she's also floundering. She doesn't know what she's doing, mm-hmm. but but she's trying. Yeah, absolutely. And I can so much imagine part of it being, you know, she's always had an air of superiority in having very little patience for people not doing things correctly, not mm-hmm. doing things well. We go back to the magic gin. Exactly. <laughs> that they were making. Just bang already. Like, I did the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally see that coming out here with her as High Queen, where, okay, she's High Queen. Well, she's going to do it well. Mm-hmm. If this is her responsibility, then she's going to take it up, and she doesn't have a lot of patience for people who won't do the same. It clearly doesn't come from a huge amount of love for the people of Fillory, (laughs) but it comes from a respect for that position and a respect for the responsibility they have. Mm Yeah. But what about, I mean, I know know the third person. Yeah, let's talk about Penny. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Penny again, has just a a rough episode, as he tends to. <laughs> when does to. he not? We see him come to break bills, and he's been traveling all over the place, including to worlds without oxygen. Mm-hmm. And again, just how terrifying that has to be. And you see he's just, like, sweating. Mm-hmm. Just, like, all of the effort and as he's... Traveled against his will mm-hmm. to all of these places, completely lost and scared. And he doesn't even know if they killed the beast. Did, did we kill the beast? Yeah. You know, it's one of his first, the first questions that he asks, like, what happened? And, and you see him looking relieved, but then he finds out about Alice dying and mm-hmm. Quentin's injuries. And yeah, I think that also we see him dealing with in ways that are very Penny-like, where mm-hmm. he does try to give his condolences to Quentin. And we do know that he liked Alice, that he had respect for her as a friend. And obviously there was some attraction too, but that's not the important part of his relationship with her. 
even though Quentin sees it as the most important part of his relationship with her. Mm -hmm. So for Penny to be trying to do the right thing when he himself is grieving, he's still having to deal with all of this awful curse effects, to then have Quentin lash out at him. When Penny's already always primed to lash out at Quentin, you know, of course he's going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's like, you're blaming me for what happened to Alice? It's just, what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Penny should phrase things differently. It doesn't suck about mm-hmm. Alice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, that's him trying to emotionally engage but it's very difficult for him, so this is how he says it. Yeah. Know? But he, he's trying. Exactly. And Quentin, I think, hates everyone, including himself at this moment, so I don't think that he would take well to almost anyone there, but Penny obviously pushes some buttons. <laughs> <laughs> but then it makes the moment after the, the flying forest mm-hmm. when Quentin just collapses and he doesn't feel like he can go on. Yeah. It makes it a, a more touching moment because, again, he's trying to support Quentin, even though it's very difficult for him, saying, I know how you feel because yeah. when your words were slipping, I could feel what you were feeling yeah. in a way. and All your low self-esteem thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, not just that, but his pain yeah, and his, his grief. And yeah, that's... that's they, they have to, just such a volatile relationship it is yeah but yeah i I think the moment when penny says i need you Mm -hmm. you know alice needs you and i need you i mean it speaks to quentin's hero complex Mm -hmm. someone needs me and i think penny not only because he's literally spent time in quentin's mind but because he just knows him well he's able to say what quentin needs to hear sometimes Mm -hmm. even if it's yelling insults at him to make him angry enough to cut off his hands. (laughs) But yeah, I just really love seeing the two of them together. They have great chemistry for two characters who can't stand each other. Absolutely. And, uh, and two characters who I like in such different ways. Yeah. And also I I think it's also really important to think about Penny is trying to be supportive while also finding a solution for his hands. Yeah. Because his hands are such a severe problem. They tried to kill him in his sleep. Mm-hmm. And that caused him to break his own arms. Yeah. Like, what a person has to do to actually break their own arms. Both of them. In order to not get strangled. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yet again bodily harm and physical trauma to his mm-hmm. body the continuation of his hands being cut off yeah. several episodes ago now just the amount of physical pain that he endures you can understand why he can be really short with Quentin sometimes <laughs> and just so annoyed because it's like he is in pain. Mm-hmm. He is, he can't catch a break. Like it is exactly. literally just bombardment of pain and suffering. Yeah, and unlucky Penny and entitled Quentin. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, yeah, there's going to be some tension there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was also really cool, I think, in this episode to see he was actually good at teaching Quentin the spell. Mm hmm. He's able to describe what he needs to do. This obscure, random spell, he, yeah, is just very capable and and, and competent as well. Absolutely. And able to translate something that clearly they mostly learn through visual medium Mm -hmm. into a verbal medium, into an audio medium, and, and explaining it. And that is absolutely its own skill, being able to communicate ideas in accessible ways is Mm -hmm. the sign of a good teacher. Maybe Mm. uh, Penny should... uh... Professor Penny? Exactly. (laughs) But also, I think it shows something about him being, even as he's annoyed at Quentin, other times maybe he would just enjoy watching Quentin fail over and over, but he doesn't. He helps him with a spell so that he can do this. Yeah. 
Well, why don't we head into our last segment, where we revisit the title of the episode. So what do you think about the title, The Flying Forest? Yeah, I I wouldn't say that it captures a lot of different things that are happening in the episode, but it is a really funny scene. And so, yeah, I, I don't mind it. Yeah, it's middling, I'd say. It would, yeah, make me think about that scene more than it would any of the kind of plot central quests, like mm-hmm. why they're going to the, the flying forest or what's going on with Elliot and things like that. I think it also kind of calls back to the way that book chapters can be in these kinds of books, where a lot of times it will be a chapter just titled the new location they're at, the forbidden forest or, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this week's discussion. So what's happening next time on The Magicians? So we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 5, Cheat Day, where we have the return of our favorite bad professor. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. Find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. We'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!